Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast for the week of June 18th. I'm your host, William Liu. Uh, first off, apologies that the podcast didn't come out uh, on Monday as it usually does. Uh, there's a bit of a scheduling mishap on my part. And um, yeah, so the podcast is out on Tuesday now. Uh, we don't have a guest, which is unfortunate, but we have plenty of Raptors news at least, which is good in a sense. Um, the NBA draft is coming up on Thursday. And, you know, although the Raptors don't have a pick, um, there's certainly no shortage of speculation um, when it comes to the Raptors. The most notable one and probably the most reputable one comes from Mark Stein uh, of the New York Times, who uh, reports that the Raptors are trying to get into that top 10 um, in his newsletter, uh, which you should all really subscribe to. It's a really nice column to read every week. It's in your, you know, it's free. It's, it comes in your mailbox. Um, it's kind of old school, really, to, to do those newsletters, but still, it, I, I find it very enjoyable. Uh, in the newsletter, uh, Stein mentions that the Raptors are looking to trade into that 8 to 10 range, and they want to draft um, Kentucky guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander, um, who grew up in Hamilton. Shout out to McMaster. But um, yeah, this is uh, a bit strange, especially since he said that, you know, the Raptors are um, making everyone on the roster available at the right price, of course, which, you know, you've you've heard of um, in other reports. But it just seems strange to all of a sudden that they, you know, want to um, dive so heavily into the top of this uh, lottery, especially since, you know, just a personal opinion, I don't really find myself that enamored with the actual top picks in this roster or in this uh, draft. Um, they don't look all that great, but I do like Shea. Um, his stock has ridden a, a, a lot over the years, um, especially in the last couple of months. Um, Kentucky obviously didn't have a great season, um, but, uh, you know, a lot of that comes down to sort of the, the, mismatching town they had they had two centers on the floor once 
Um, you know, and, and Shea didn't really get control of the offense until later in the season, but he ran a lot of pick and rolls. He played a lot of um, a pick and roll basketball, which is, you know, that's what is uh, is like 90% of NBA basketball. A lot of colleges, they don't run that. They run, I don't know, motion offenses and stuff like that that isn't necessarily pick and roll basketball. But Shea ran a lot of pick and rolls. Um, I saw one site out there suggested that he had over 500 um, pick and rolls. Uh, run for him which is nice right and, and he's a nice pick and roll player he can get downhill crafty finisher um six foot six seven foot wingspan so that really does fit the type of player that Masai likes to draft um you know we know he's big on length and you know he's um not necessarily primarily a scorer he's a good combo guard he's a good passer out of the pick and roll scenario and I think if he plays with more spacing in the NBA he'll have a better time uh, of recording assists but you know like it's it's a nice player. It's a nice player, but not, the the Canadian thing is not the main thing, but it's a bonus. Um, it's just a little bit strange though, because like ironically, the player that he is most similar to in both the stature and the style of game he plays is a lot like Delon Wright, who the Raptors already have. Now, granted, um, Shea is nineteen and Delon is twenty six, so um, you know, that's obviously a big gap there and you would have a lot more control over Shea, but it just seems a little bit strange that you would turn up your roster a little bit um, to get into the top of this draft, which again, I don't really find this to be that impressive. Like, yeah, you can get a really nice big in this draft, but um, how many bigs like do the Raptors already have, right? And so then if you look at the rest of that roster or the rest of that draft, I mean, the... I mean, like, does none of them are really perfect, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying you have to get the perfect guy at the number 8 to 10 pick. Like, that's mo- – most drafts, you're not finding too much value there. Um, but unless Doncic slides through pretty much everybody, which is not going to happen, uh, then you're looking at guys like Trey Young, then you're looking at guys like Shea, guys like – uh, Michael Porter, who I like, but I mean, come on, we haven't even seen him play college college basketball because he had a back injury. Like, you know, who knows if he's even going to be healthy? And the fact that the Kings are so heavily into him actually makes me not, you know, trust my own abilities to look at this player and think he's good because if the Kings think he's good, he's probably bad. Um, and so it, it's just it's just strange that the Raptors try to trade into this draft like that. Um, it's also strange because the Raptors would need to give up some pretty significant assets to get into that top tier. Um, again, if you're looking at the eight to eight, nine, ten range, there uh, number eight is Cleveland. I don't think Cleveland is going to trade that pick, and if they do, they need to get someone better than anyone on the Raptors because they're trying to trade that pick. Um, you know, maybe for Kawhi and and you know. Again, that would be pretty crazy to even land Kawhi with just a number eight pick, but they want to land a, an actual star um, to pair with LeBron. And while Kyle Lowry would actually play really well in Cleveland, it just doesn't fully make sense for them to do a trade like that because I don't think LeBron looks at Cleveland and goes, well, if you have Kyle Lowry, then we're staying. Like, no, I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to go to L.A. still. Um, and then if you look at number nine, um, number nine belongs to the Knicks. Uh, I'm not really sure what the Knicks want to do with that pick, but it seems like right now they're pretty devoted to the rebuild. I don't foresee them giving up number nine for any the, anybody the Raptors are offering. Um, and then number 10, like that one's probably the most realistic one. The Sixers have number 10. Um, you know, 
the Sixers situation is very strange because Brian Colangelo got you know let go for his uh, secret tweets and stuff like that, and now they don't have a GM. Um, Brett Brown, their head coach, is now managing basketball operations, which you know I- I'm not quite sure how he would handle that. But you know, like they could use a guy like Kyle Lowry. Like that's a perfect team for Lowry to go to. Like there was some, you know, no actual reporting, but it was sort of people put two and two together that Kyle Lowry was a free agent last year and he could go to Philadelphia where he's from and they could really use a point guard. But they didn't. They they kept all their cap room open um, because they looked at the summer. They saw that LeBron was going to be a free agent. They saw that uh, Paul George is going to be a free agent. Um, I don't think they they foresaw the Kawhi thing, but I think they kept their cap room open for this specific summer so that they can chase Paul George and LeBron. And, you know, I I don't know if they can get those guys. I don't know what kind of intel they have in terms of whether or not those guys are going to pass on Philly or, you know, give them a chance. But I don't foresee Philly at this point in the draft when they're so close with all this cap room about to, uh, to come to them that they're just like, well, instead we'll trade the number 10 for Kyle Lowry. Like, that's just... It's strange. Like, I could see them going for Kyle Lowry if they miss on all of this other stuff, but chances are pretty good that they're going to keep that cap room open and try to land, um, you know, one of those stars in free agency so they don't have to give up the number 10 pick. But um, that's just from sort of what the Raptors are looking at in terms of options. In terms of what the Raptors are looking at in terms of their own roster and why they would feel compelled to trade some of these guys, I mean, by all accounts, it seems like the Raptors want to stay competitive Um you know, the reports of everyone being available at the right price, I, you get that. Like, I think every team should really look at it that way. And I think, strictly speaking, Masai has operated that way as well. Um, if the right deal comes comes around, I, I don't think he's going to turn that down. I think he's going to move it. But I don't think there's this, like, um, grand intent to tear everything down this summer. Um, and it would just be quite a shock, especially since, you know... Um, I mean, part of it's unavoidable, but, you know, when Masai was asked about Kyle Lowry and, and when the new head coach Nick Nurse was asked about Kyle Lowry and, and, and JV and these guys, you know, they've spoken about them like they have big plans for them in the upcoming year, like their core fixtures in the next year. So it would be a little bit surprising to see them move some players. If they move one of the two players, um, you could, you know, the Raptors are going to take a step back. They don't have a natural score on the roster to replace you know, the 25 points a game DeMar is giving you. Um, I know DeMar is sort of an, a question because there's obviously a lot of thought, especially people who, um, you know, place more value in analytics that uh, DeMar is a guy that might be holding the Raptors back in terms of just his um, defense and his inflexibility and offense and not shooting as much, him handling the ball so much. Um, him relying on mid-range shots. And, you know, the last memory of DeMar from the playoffs was not good whatsoever. However, like, this is still a very important player, and it's it's beyond the fact of, um, you know, just strictly speaking what amount of points he gives you, but the fact that you have a system, you can build a system around a guy where, you know, he's going to be able to generate consistent offense for you. If you take that out of the if you take that focus away out of DeMar and you, you move it to a pick, which is not going to produce for you immediately, as much as I like Shea, he's not going to replace DeMar for you immediately, um, or even ever, really, if you even if he develops. Um, right? Like, who do you move that system to in terms of, like, is Kyle Lowry going to be that focal point? Because if Kyle Lowry is that focal point, and we saw in 2015, he, his body broke down after, like, 30 games, and he wasn't really right for the rest of the season after he carried them 
when Demar was out for like six weeks with that, um, I, I forget what it was, like a hamstring pull or something. Um, and so, like you know, it's it's a consideration, right? It's gonna it, like taking Demar out is not as simple as well. You know, his plus minus is this and that. His on off court rating is this. We replace him with someone else, and it, all of a sudden it's fixed. I don't know about that. Um, I guess part of it is also like. You know, if you want to look at the upside of if you want to move Demar and, and you're optimistic, you probably think that you know Nick Nurse has sort of generated uh, an offense that got put in place last season, where Demar's um, importance was de-emphasized in terms of his scoring. His passing was obviously more emphasized and more encouraged. Uh, and you know, you might be able to replace him uh, on the whole, on the aggregate, with you know more production from the rest of the roster. But like. Again, that's those are things that are nicer in theory. I don't know if they happen in practice. I think the Raptors rely a lot on Demar, and moving him would be a huge change to what they do, and it would be a step back next year. Um, and then when it comes to Lowry, like I think that's that's one where everyone's in agreement. Even though the Raptors have depth at point guard, even though they want to re-sign Fred, which you know I'll talk about in a second, um, you know it's still it's still not like there's nobody on the roster that's going to step in and take up everything that Kyle Lowry does. I mean, as much slander as Kyle Lowry catches online for this and that, but he's still a very underappreciated player for what he does. I mean, last season, Kyle Lowry, right? It wasn't an exceptional season for him. He transitioned. He had hot stretches. He had had cold stretches. The man still was third in the NBA in three-point makes behind Paul George and James Harden, all right? So that's that's one. Number two, he led the league in charges. Um, he transitioned to being both very good on the ball and very good off the ball. He didn't drive as much at the basket, but that helped him stay healthy, and he was fresh, and he went into the playoffs healthy for once. He was the Raptors' best playoff performer um, on, on the whole over the Washington series, uh, which he was fantastic in the Washington series, uh, multiple games with double-digit assists, um, You know, pretty good defense against Bradley Beal and things like that. Uh, and, you know, he was... Not great in the in the in the Cavs series. I don't think anyone was great in the Cavs series. But if anyone had a if the Raptors had like one performer that had the best specific game out of that four game series, that four game embarrassment, it was Kyle Lowry. Like Kyle Lowry had a really good game three, uh, in which the Raptors you know tried to lead that comeback and LeBron hit that crazy you know running bank shot. Whatever we don't have to revisit that. But you know Kyle Lowry is very important to this team. He is so smart, so adaptable that he fills in. He's a perfect complementary star. And if you t- um, if you take him away from the Raptors, I mean, all the stats and everything has pointed to that. You know the Raptors are going to suffer. So you know if you do decide to rebuild, then that's probably a decision that you should probably make. Um, you know ahead of time. It's strange to hear this two days from the draft, and that's where I, I come back to this idea that like you know Stein, you know Stein said everyone on the roster is available for the right price, and there was also uh, a Salt Lake Tribune reporter Tony Jones who said that he heard that Kyle Lowry is very much available. I mean I don't know who, who knows, but like I think part of it is also just around draft time you hear a lot more speculation about everything, and and that's why you should sort of take everything with as much a huge a huge grain of salt right because like sometimes information gets leaked um well i mean information gets leaked usually purposely i don't think a lot of it is accidental um but if it's purposefully then like i don't think any of this stuff comes from the raptors i don't think the raptors are suddenly saying to the league hey we want to draft this specific player and we're going to offer anyone on our roster 
Um, that just doesn't seem like good business. That's not something that you would that would help the Raptors leverage. I don't think it would even help the Raptors in terms of getting a temperature of what the fan base thinks. I, th- I don't think that's how the Raptors operate in the past. They don't really leak reports to see how people react and then act accordingly, at least not under Masai's watch um, because they have been notoriously, you know, uh, not leaky. Although in recent last one or two years, I feel like it's been a lot more leaky. Um, but, you know, I would just be surprised. I would be surprised. I don't think again. Like I, I, I think the Raptors, if the right guy comes, if the right package comes around, they will obviously reconsider. But um, you know, I, I would not be surprised if the Raptors did not trade one of their superstars, not superstars, one of their stars, for the number ten pick and some other you know crap that comes along with it um, at the trade deadline. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Like. It could happen, and at at that point, I'm also okay with that happening, um, provided that the return makes sense. Because like, you know, there's like, there's this like, um, there's two modes where the Raptors exist in, right? There's that world where this is a good team. Um, there's a lot of accomplishments, and a lot of these you know, players that are currently on the roster, especially the core guys, mean a lot, and they deserve to continue being here, and they should be traded for. Um, something of equivalent value. But then there's also the reality of like, look, <clears throat> we've been through five years of this. We've seen what it, where it goes to. We've seen the absolute ceiling of this team. It's kind of been proven time and time again. If they bring a new coach, I, I mean, having brought a new coach in, like I don't think that really changes anything realistically. It wasn't like doing Casey was holding this team back so far that they were going to beat Cleveland or anything like that. It's a talent issue, right? And so if we've seen the like the absolute ceiling of this core and they want to change something that maybe in the short term, you know, knocks the team back, but, um, you know, they can sort of have more flexibility and try to make another move and, and this and that, change the style of play, um, the, I wouldn't mind that move either, right? It just has to, you know, it has to be come at the right price. And I think I guess that's ultimately what Stein is saying. The interest in Shea is, is, is kind of interesting because it does suggest they're going to move on their guards, Um but I don't know, man. I mean, as of right now, Shea kind of looks like DeLon. And it's weird to kind of blow up your team and get DeLon back. But I don't know. Who knows? If, if you do that, if they do end up doing that and they re-sign Fred Van Vliet, then you have suddenly a whole bunch of point guards again. You could probably trade one of them again. So who knows? But, um, yeah, that's probably the most significant rumor out there, the Stein report and the Jones report. Um in terms of actual, you know, out in the open shit, uh, Raptors GM Bobby Webster won on TSN radio, and he said, quote, um, well, he said resigning Fred Van Bleet is, quote, the highest priority for the team, and he reiterated that no one in the organization has ever um, given a direct, you know, edict to avoid the luxury tax. Having said that... Um, you know, Webster has also said the reason the Raptors have not gone into luxury tax for the last couple of years is because they personally felt that this team was not at that level. There was no need to go into a luxury tax. And we've seen them last year when they ducked the luxury tax by shipping off Damari Carroll for a first-round pick to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Um, You know, this year, I feel like the luxury tax is a little bit inevitable. Um you know the Raptors have about 127 million dollars committed to next season, uh, and I mean, you know they that's 
127 million committed to 11 players. The luxury tax is 123 million. Um, they want to re-sign Fred VanVleet. It'll probably cost them around five to eight million. You gotta believe, like five on the low end. You know, 8.6 is absolute max that anyone could offer him next year. Um, he can obviously make more money down the line with this contract, but the first two years have to be uh, mid-level. Um, so you know, like. I don't know. It just seems very difficult. They don't have uh, a pick to trade in this draft to sort of move off some salary. Also, the rest of the league is really short on cap space, which is why I ultimately think that, you know, if people just like the league has to take a year to actually pay f- for its mistakes. And like when the the cap jumped incredibly in 2016, um, and the league opted against smoothing, everyone went nuts because that's just how it goes, right? You have to spend at minimum 90% of the, uh, the the salary cap every year. And the salary cap jumped $30 million. So, like, everybody was, had way more money to spend, and everyone made all these bad investments, right? Um, you know, and you look around the league, like, it's not like the Raptors are the only team to make this mistake. Almost every single team made this error, and they, they spent way too much money. The salaries became temporarily inflated. For that one- to two-year period, like, every free agent was getting paid crazy dollars. Like, man, Evan Evan Turner, um, you know, <laughs> um, you know, Joe Kim Noah got a $72 million contract. Like, you can look at every single team. Every single team has an example of one of these mistakes. Um, Sergio Baca got paid $23 million a year. Um, but... You know, at some point you have to pay for that error, right? Because, like, yeah, you're going to squeeze yourself to a point where you're going to need to sign new contracts. And you have all these old burdensome contracts on the books. You have a choice between giving up more assets to duck the tax or you just pay the tax for a year. Because I think realistically that's what the Raptors should be doing. They should just pay the tax for that one year. Um, because as of right now, if the Raptors re signed Van Bleed, uh, and maybe moved off one of their contracts, right? Like it's not it's not gonna be too bad, right? They're not paying like crazy luxury tax. Luxury tax becomes really burdensome when you're in the repeater tax, um, and you're gonna pay in multiple years, and you know suddenly you're getting paid, you're getting taxed like you know two, three, even four dollars on every extra dollar you spend, which is how it gets really expensive. But you know you look at this team; a lot of the contracts are set to expire um, in. You know, after 2020, like that's the end of that three-year window. They have like over 80 million dollars coming off the, the the books at once that summer. Um, it could be even uh, they could have actually more financial flexibility even sooner if JV opts out of his deal in 2019 or if CJ Miles opts out of his deal in 2019. I don't really see out of that happening, but like it's not going to be too bad, right? Like relief is just right around the corner. So it, it instead of um, trading another first round pick to get off one of these contracts or, um, you know, instead of giving away, um, some of your young prospects to try to weaken your team in the, in the mind, in, in the meantime, just so that you can re-sign for and lead and, and try to make another run. Like it's just very complicated. At some point you just got to say, look, you just got to bite the bullet and, and just essentially, um, you know, pay for the first round pick that you would essentially pay for anyway, right? Like how much, how much like does the health of the franchise matter in terms of just like the strictly speaking the basketball assets because if you wanted to you could just keep this whole roster together right and you know i'm not advocating for that necessarily like if someone comes around and wants to take Serge Ibaka for a salary dump and you don't have to offer anything else I'm sure the raptors would do it right now but 
if that doesn't come around, then, you know, you have that choice of giving something up. And for a team that has made as much money as the Raptors have, you know, MLSC has, um, the prices for Raptors games have gone up so much over the last couple of years. And rightfully so. Like, you know, I think Raptors, uh, being in the market like Toronto where there's a lot of rich people and everything like that, a lot of interest in basketball, um, the prices were really, really low. And that's partially because they were playing, you know, Leandro Barbosa as their go-to scorer um, before trading him for a top 55 protected pick. Uh, you know, like, yeah, of course, ticket prices are going to go up. But, I mean, at the same time, like, you can't tell me this team hasn't made a ton of money recently. And if you got to pay the luxury tax for one or two years, and it's not even like a crazy luxury tax like – what Cleveland pays or what Golden State pays. I'm just talking about like two or three million, like five million into the tax. Like you just just gotta bite the bullet and do it. Like that's it, right? Like, um, you know, there's a lot of young talent on this team. It, we would hate to see it go to waste um, in a salary dump. Um, and you know, it just personally, I don't think it makes sense to pay the luxury tax right now. But like, it's just you know, in in a in a world where all things are equal, but all things are not equal like that that one cap spike really did put everyone um into this position and you eventually have to pay it sometimes you just have to pay the penalty you just pay it one in one year and it's probably done so that's probably what i would do but there is the question of um norman powell who you know it's uh really unfortunate it's such a huge bummer um norm obviously we were all ecstatic last summer when it was announced that um, you know, Norms had signed that four-year, $42 million extension right around the time Josh Richardson was signed. And, man, I was high on Norm. I love Norm. Everyone loved Norm. I mean, you know, I, I remember these stats like, you know, like they're written on the back of my hand or something. But Norm made 18 starts in 2016-17 for Damari Carroll, who was in and out of the roster um, with, you know, with this injury or another injury or whatever just being ineffective. And Norm, in those 18 starts, averaged 15 points a game, shot 49% from the field, and 40% from three, and was, generally speaking, pretty good on defense. And so, like, it made absolute sense to extend him. Uh, and then, you know, that's what made it such a huge bummer, right, that he um, he has sort of regressed at this point. And, and this point is that, um, you know, Josh Lewenberg reports uh, that the Raptors were gauging trade interest for Norman Powell um and that you know they could look to trade them before the draft or at least you know sometime before july 1st because um well on the financial side norm is currently making 1.5 million dollars the extension is going to kick in on july 1st and then he's going to make um 9.4 million dollars right so you it'd be a lot easier to trade him right now on that 1.5 figure than later on the 9.4 figure um, but you know, on the other side is just, it's just really sad to see what happened to Norm because, you know, he worked so hard. Uh, I remember watching him at crown league. He was electric way better than the lawn, right? In that one game. Um, and you know, uh, the two of them, uh, I remember there was like confetti that fell from, you know, the, the, the rafters and, and they were talking about how it's our time to take, you know, more of a bigger role on this team. And Norm was you know, potentially going to be a starter and, you know, from that point onward, it, it got really bad in terms of just, um, you know, OG comes in, he develops really quickly. It's obviously a great thing, but he, you know, he usurps Norm from the starting rotation. And then Norm can't find his way with the bench because the bench develops their own identity. And it just, 
it, the all the whole year Norm was just struggling to find any sort of piece in the rotation. He couldn't do it. Um, the Raptors had so many productive players that it, it, towards the end, man, he didn't even play. Like he he didn't even play. Like the Raptors were going to some crazy stuff like CJ Miles guarding Kevin Love before you know Norm was even out there on the floor at all, and. It's just disappointing because I think expectations for Norm are way higher than this. But if you were going to potentially cut a salary, Norm seems like the kind of guy that would be the easiest one to shed. Now, the reason for that is because this is a cost-controlled young player. And if some team was interested in him, and presumably some team is going to be interested in him, this would basically be like a a free situation. You know, it's like when you – I don't know, man. Like when you – let's say you win – I, I don't know. You you roll up the rim and you win a new Honda Civic, and you, then all of a sudden you your old car you can just put that up for sale. But you never really wanted to put that old car up for sale in the first place. It's just circumstances, you know, dictated that this is a buy low opportunity, and that's that's essentially what happened with Norm here, right? Like you could get Norm for free at this point, which Loomberg also reports that you know the Raptors probably won't get too much back for him. Um, but you know. I'm sure there's some team out there that is probably looking at Norm like, hey, we believed in him. We see the situation here that, you know, the Raptors have no money um, available and, you know, we could take Norm off your hands and um, it could be a free it could be a free sort of situation. And, it, it, you know, maybe someone does buy into that. I, I, the Raptors should have some leverage because he's only 25 years old and he has shown um, both on a playoff level, uh, especially in that Milwaukee series, when he got into the starting lineup, the Raptors were three and zero, and won that series. Um, that you know, Norm is a guy that can contribute, and that in a team in in a league that is so uh, wing heavy nowadays, like someone should be around to take on Norm. But you know, I don't know. Most of it just depresses me. If the Raptors wanted to move Norm and just sort of like kick the can down the road and and try to take that money off the books which um, that erases $9 million off the books next year. Then you add in uh, Fred for, I don't know, let's say, f- f- uh, let's be optimistic, let's say five, right? So then you're looking at like $123 million. So you're right at that luxury tax mark. Um, maybe you shift another couple salaries around and you add some minimum guys. And maybe, you know, you could sneak to the point where, yes, you can sort of just narrowly duck the tax again, like the, what the Raptors did this year. But I don't know. I mean, I... W- it's just it just kind of sucks right because it was such a great story for norm for like two years um the raptors as you recall um traded gravis vasquez who was already unhappy with only one year left on this deal um to the bucks for a first round pick and also a second round pick that turned into norm then norm has that breakout moment in the playoffs against the pacers and um you know he continues to progress and he keeps showing more and more flashes in the next season and it just felt like this was found money, right? Like, oh, wow, this is great. The Raptors had this, you know, player that they got basically for nothing. Um, and they got him into a nice, you know, cost-controlled uh, contract moving forward. And then all of a sudden, it's going to turn into a point where the Raptors are going to be like, well, turns out we didn't really deserve this money in the first place, and we're going to have to give it away for free. Like, that's just – it's a bummer. It really is a bummer. But, I mean, it's it's ultimately a financial decision, right? Like, if they want to keep Norm, they can do it. They can keep Fred VanVleet and Norm at the same time. It's just whether or not they want to pay the luxury tax. And arguably – now, okay, hold on. 
if you want to if you want to keep Powell, like you should have a plan for him going forward. If you want to keep the whole roster together and keep Powell for that, just just for just you know basically to run everything back, that doesn't quite make sense because as this season showed, there was no actual opportunity, no role for Powell on this team, right? But if you know, let's say a crazy trade happened and I don't know, like one of the guards got moved, you know, probably Demar because Demar is in the same position as Norm. Then okay, there's more of an opportunity. You're not going to replace Demar with Norm, but you know at least there's an actual chance to actual playing time in which he can actually justify his contract. If that happens, then of course keep Norm. But I don't know. It doesn't really seem likely the Raptors are going to move on their big pieces. And so, um, if you're not going to do that, then and you're going to keep everyone else, then you're you know probably going to get rid of Norm, which is again very upsetting. Um, you know, I do like Norm a lot. Uh, in other news, the um, – oh, actually, more about the draft, actually. I feel like the Raptors could buy a pick um, in the upcoming draft. The Raptors have no current picks, no first-round pick, no second-round pick. But, um, you know, I f- this feels like a draft where the Raptors can buy into the second round. Um, for example, the Hawks have number 30 and number 33. The Nets have number 40 and number 45. The Sixers, in particular, have number 38, number 39, and 56. Um, with only you know a limited number of roster spots available, most of the Sixers um, players are already in place. So like they probably can't accommodate all these new picks. So they probably got to trade some of them. Um, I could definitely foresee the Raptors spending um, five point one million um, to sort of buy one of these picks, uh, especially since you know again the Raptors are pretty tight against luxury tax and they've been really good. Uh, at turning these late picks into actual productive pieces. You look at Siakam, you look at Van Vliet, who was just straight up uh, undrafted OG, DeLon, um, you know, even Bebe, who they got for free. Like, all these guys, Norm, you know, ironically, um, you know, they've done really well with the end of this, basically, you know, low draft picks. They've shown a really nice ability to identify talent um, that maybe the rest of the league has a blind spot for. And so I, I would very much like to see that happen in this draft i really expect it i also think the raptors could probably sign an undrafted player um you know similar to the van vliet thing granted van vliet is like the best best case scenario where you just have this player that is completely found money but you know if they've done it once they could probably do it again um at least that's the hope anyway but um yeah i don't know i don't think it'll be a completely dry draft period for the raptors i think the raptors will make a little bit of noise um on draft day i just don't think it's gonna be like huge noise like trading one of the play one of their main pieces and getting one of the top picks in this draft because i don't know it would just be very strange um in other raptors news the uh the franchise announced that jama mahalela um has replaced jerry stackhouse um as the next head coach of the raptors 905 um you know stack went to join the grizzly staff as a lead assistant um, after the Raptors ultimately went to nurse, which makes sense. Um, you know, I feel bad. I, 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 again, it's a situation like norm where the Raptors, you know, got this guy, they've developed him. Stack has really shown a lot of promise and, you know, there's, there's a lot of love for stack in this podcast. Um, and, you know, he's taken them to the finals twice and one of them, he won the, the, the title and he's, he's done it with different caliber of players as well. And he's done a great job of building that program. But, you know, it, the Raptors had that opening. It didn't come. It wasn't going to go to him. And so he figured he might as well go somewhere else and try something new. And, and Memphis is a situation where 
if they pivoted to a rebuild, which is very, very possible, um, Jerry Stackhouse would have uh, a foot in the door in terms of becoming that interim because I don't really think they're that you know, committed to J.B. Bickerstaff for their long-term head coach. Um, but anyway, this is about Jama, and um, you know, it's a great, great opportunity for him as a coach. It's very, uh, I think, appropriate. Um, like, you know, in a developmental setting, right, you want someone that's really encouraging, really positive, really upbeat, uh, and that's that's what Jama is. Like, he's he's kind of like a Canadian version of uh, of Jesse Mermis. Um, uh, if you guys remember, Jesse was the first Raptors 905 head coach. Um, he got uh, hired after a year to join Luke Walton on his staff as an assistant coach and you know it's the kind of the same guys right like really upbeat really about development and you know for for Jama like this is a good opportunity for him to go down there um you know learn more about play calling um learn about sort of just the management of the team overall like not just an assistant but being responsible for the whole team as the head coach uh and you know it, it makes sense for the Raptors side too because they they need somebody to take over that um that spot and you know they don't really have that many other options internally like it's um you know there's a lot of openings on the head coaching spot right now like i, I don't know how many they're going to retain but they were basically picking from jama um, patrick mutombo who the raptors just introduced to the coaching staff last year and also jim son who was with the raptors previously but had just come back into the organization last year and so like jama had way more seniority than those guys um and, you know, as a young coach, it's a good opportunity. So I'm going to miss Stack, though. I really will miss Stack. I, I don't think Jam is nearly going to be as quotable as Stack. It's not going to be as many great stories as there were uh, with Stackhouse. And I think Stack did a great job. But, um, you know, now it's now it's Jama's turn to develop into a great coach. Um, in terms of the other stuff... The Raptors uh, also, again, have to fill out their assistant coaching staff around Nick Nurse. Um, so far, they don't have anyone else. Um, Michael Grange of Sportsnet is reporting that the Raptors are interested in Sergio Scariolo, um, who was the Spanish national team head coach. I don't know if he still is, um, but, you know, Cool. Like the the one thing I remember with with him is that the Raptors tried to hire him back in 2015 and he declined and so I I, I don't know why he would you know make the decision again maybe he thought a, a head coach position was opening it's not going to come for him he's not really on anyone else's radar if he wants to do the Raptors thing like he could um, who knows I mean you could look at this situation in terms of you, the Raptors could change head coaches again soon ish like Nick Nurse only signed a three year deal. Um, and coaches don't usually coach on the last year of their contract expiring, so it's really like a two-year deal, and if it is a two-year deal, then it kind of matches up with the Raptors' 2020 timeline. So who knows? But, I mean, like, the Raptors didn't interview him for head coach either, so if, if, if they're interested in him, you know, cool. They probably want someone for experience. That's what Nick Nurse said. Really values guys that have been head coaches elsewhere, and, you know, being the head coach of Spain is, is pretty nice. I mean, Spain has had a really nice run here with basketball. Um, so that's one possibility. Uh, Grange also mentioned Phil Handy, who was an assistant with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, you know, cool. I don't really know too much about Phil Handy. All I know is that he gave the the Cavaliers this huge inspirational speech 
Uh, and then the Cavaliers, um, you know, had that magical run in 2016 where they, you know, upset the Warriors after being down 3-1. Uh, again, Handy seems like a development guy, seems like a pretty tough guy. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, again, it's, it's hard with assistant coaches. Um, but, you know, he has a good resume. He's worked with a lot of stars. And, you know, if the Raptors want to go that way, sure, why not? Um, he... Uh, if you want to see toughness in the team, I mean, it, it would be nice to to bring in a head coach that you know can deliver it. Because as much as uh, I believe Nick Nurse, you know, has you know qualities of someone that can inspire our team to be tough, like he seems like an upbeat guy, mostly like a positive feedback kind of guy. So maybe you want to back off. I don't know. Uh, and there was also a report again f- earlier in this week from. Uh, Mark Stein that the Raptors tried to interview uh, you know Chris Finch who um, now works for the Pelicans the Pelicans denied it because it was a lateral move not that cool in my opinion but um, you know I get it like the the code is usually you let the person go for an actual promotion not that you just let a guy go for a lateral job Um, and so I don't know. The Pelicans chose to hold on to him. That's cool. Whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, the connection there is that Finch was, uh, you know, he coached with Nick Nurse uh, for the greatest uh, for the the Great Britain team. So I don't know. I guess that's one of his good friends. He was familiar with him. He wanted to hire him. Anyway, the, as it currently stands, the Raptors have n- no assistant coaches, so they they want to fill it out. But I mean, th- there's no immediate need to get these assistant coaches like. Um, you know, chances are that the player, like what you want assistant coaches to be doing right now is to be training your players and things like that. And I'm sure the Raptors players are being trained um, just, you know, with other trainers and stuff. Like that's what most players do in the summer anyway. So I don't think it's a big worry. It's not a big concern. I, I would obviously prefer them to fill it sooner rather than later. But um, given that Nick is not like a, super established NBA guy who's been around forever. I don't it's it's probably going to take him some time to to put together a team. Um but um yeah, I mean also taking your time with that is good too because it, it helps fill summer content. Um you know, cuz otherwise we're just scraping the bottom of the barrel. And in terms of scraping the bottom of the barrel, um I'm going to sign off with uh this last point about um you know, crazy crazy fantasy trades right now that the raptors uh fans are talking themselves into perhaps it's because i'm spending too much time um looking at these rumors um i don't know i go into these forums a lot i look at you know the raptors public forums i look at the comments i look at uh um you know the toronto raptors reddit page sometimes i go on a real gym as well like it depends, but I mean, the two most crazy scenarios you're seeing out there right now is like either one Chandler Parsons number four for Demar, which is, um, I don't think it's ultimately that realistic. Again, it, it it's like a supersized version of that that Shea thing where it's like, you know, it would be a, such a dramatic move for the Raptors to make that you would think they would have dropped some hints along the way. And if you really, really want to look for the hints, like. Um, Zach Lowe said the other day that, oh, man, Rex Kalamian is really close with DeMar. It's like, all right, cool. But it's not like now that Rex has left for L.A. that, um, you know, DeMar is going to follow him out the door. I don't think that's the case. Um, but, you know, 
it would be kind of crazy. I also think it would be kind of a hard sell too because you're kind of pulling a fast 180 on the fans and um, you know this franchise is. Uh, trumped up the Mars so much and rightfully so he's done a great service for this for this franchise and so sort of just let him go for a draft pick and Chandler Parsons which is like a one of the worst contracts in the league like I, it would be very shocking and it'd be kind of hard to accept even if I see the logic in it they must really really hit on the number four pick then because like Man, DeMar was a really good player, and if you look at the number four pick, I mean, who knows what that could be. Maybe it could even land you, like, Luka Doncic. It could land you one of these bigs, like Jaron Jackson, who, you know, could be, like, Draymond with some scoring, which would be great. Or, you know, Mo Bamba, who looks like Rudy Gobert with kind of a jumper and um, really, really marketable um, and well-spoken. Um, but, like, come on, man, like, the expectation for that pick was going to be pretty high, and I think it's just – I don't know. I don't really foresee the Raptors doing something like that. And then the other thing is just trading for Kawhi Leonard, which, um, you know, I guess what's working most in the Raptors' favor is that the Spurs probably would prefer to trade him to the Eastern Conference if they trade him at all. Um, but, I mean, if Kawhi is hell-bent on going to the Lakers and you want to intercept it for a one-year rental – I don't really see what that does for you. Um, and in terms of just interesting, like, like sh- the, the thing is, like, whatever the Raptors can offer, like, I feel like the the Celtics or the Sixers can intercept with a better offer, right? Like, what's the Raptors' best offer? Like, you give up, I don't know, like, Siakam, OG, and JV for him. It's, it's, first off, does that even improve your team? Like, I guess it does because Kawhi is amazing and he's – healthy he's a top three player but like if you're losing all that depth and you have no financial flexibility i don't really see that happening and also b like i feel like just the celtics can offer a better package like if they just say like hey straight up we'll give you Jalen brown and one of our um future 2019 first round draft picks you know they own one from the grizzlies they're one from the kings like those are all really 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 nice pieces that could be um, you know, lottery picks and stuff like that. You give them two of those draft picks and Jalen Brown. I don't think the Spurs would say no, right? So, like, it, it, I could easily see um, another team trumping that offer for the Raptors. So, I don't, I don't really see the Kawhi to Toronto thing. Um, I mean, it's it's fun to sort of, I don't know, play with the trade machine and 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 see and Photoshop Kawhi in a Raptors jersey. But I don't know. I think that's unrealistic. Uh, if the Raptors wanted Kawhi, we should have just got him in the draft. Um, but we didn't, we didn't. So anyway, that does it for the podcast. Again, apologies that it came out late and that there's no guest, but, um, you know, uh, the draft is coming up. Uh, and so we'll definitely recap that on the night of the draft. If anything crazy happens, um, uh, and you know, if nothing crazy does happen, then I'll probably just, you know, catch you at the usual time next Monday. So thank you to everyone for listening. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. 
Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.